I will join you uh, at the end of the pier. <laughs> Hear the word of God. Uh, le let me say, dear friends, this is my last Sunday here, and um, it's very emotional for all of us. I think back 10 years, and the first time I walked into the Bulldog Cafeteria and thought, what have I let myself in for? <laughs> And then we've walked together, and if I were to start thanking everybody here this morning, we would have to go row by row and virtually um, comment on what you've done for me and hopefully what the Lord has done for you through me. And uh, I bless you. I thank you. I will always carry you in my heart. So the Word of God this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 8. <coughs> Bow your heart in awe. God is about to speak to you. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we wait for it with patience likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, 
also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who is to condemn. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord God, we read these words with total astonishment and bless your holy name for the marvelous plan of salvation and that it comes to us in such a written form that we may ponder it and turn it over in our minds and meditate upon it and we ask that it may become part of the fabric of our being to the glory of your name. Amen. Uh, my 18-year-old granddaughter hovered on the brink of death for 10 days. She had an invasive bacteria that was caused by a ruptured cyst on her ovary and septicemia sp spread throughout her entire organs. I uh, had the joy or the privilege or the terror of spending eight dreadful days. Shando spent entire six weeks. The word ICU is a good word for such an experience. You feel isolated, isolated from the world. You don't notice things outside. Isolated from God. You wonder about God's will. You question your faith. 
you fear for your loved one and loved ones, for her parents and siblings. You feel your helplessness and prayerlessness. You watch the monitors and listen to the beeps and the warnings. And your dread is deepened by the parade of doctors, technicians, nurses, adjusting drains and drips. Whenever an alarm goes out, you wonder why is nobody responding. And you go out and they're all busy tending other people. And then you realize this is a, a floor of the hospital where people die when someone in a room two doors down uh, has the priest come in for final rites. And then the whole family erupt with wailing and, and uh, grieving. And the enemy from the hot place comes and has a field day with his sneering insinuations Oh, so, he says, does God really love you? So, this is how God treats his children. Where is God when you need him? Why is this necessary? Your feeble faith is obviously lacking for God to desert you like this. And then the worst one of all, are you sure that you are a true believer? Maybe that's all just a figment of your imagination. It's all summarized in this statement by Vince Neal. Because evil and suffering are the major problem for believers and non-believers alike. Whether some immense evil like genocide or some minor suffering like a splinter in your finger, this perplexes us at every level of existence. And here's how Vince Neal put it, and I fully resonate at one level with, with what he's saying. I lost my faith in God when I lost my daughter to cancer, the beast. I begged. I cried, I offered my life for hers. Day by day, I watched that beautiful little angel slip off. So excuse me for not taking my seat next to you on Sunday in church. I feel too cheated to worship. So the book of Romans tackles this head on. The book addresses the complexity of the human condition, specifically, specifically with its longings for a relationship with the eternal, and he expounds the gospel with depth and clarity. Starting with God's righteousness and holiness, he leads us to, to understand the dilemma of human sin with convincing clarity and then he points the way to faith, showing us Christ's atoning sacrifice for our sins. And he concludes with that exhilarating climax, which we find in Romans 8 and 16 and 17. And you can hear the rising cadences of joyful experience. And we saw with eagle's wings 
the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And I've interrupted the verse in the middle because it finishes with this glorious paradox which sends us like helpless kittens catapulted over a precipice provided we suffer with him. Hey, Paul, are you kidding? Where's my shotgun? I'm going to fire the first barrel at you. Provided we suffer with you, in order that we also may be glorified with him. So this is what he highlighted in the suffering. He said, suffering fills us with fear. It makes us groan. It exposes us as impotent. You realize that in the ICU. He makes praying impossible. He says, you feel accused, condemned, distant from God. And then he says, besides this, there are many who are killed like sheep all day long for the sake of God's glory. And they sum up, I'm sure, your experience, and you can expand them to fit the dimensions of your own struggle. And Paul has got the audacity to say that this all works for good. Let me get it straight. I'm in a perfect storm with monstrous waves, hurricane force winds, a leaking boat, a failed engine, no communications because they've been blasted by lightning, and therefore it is more like all things work together for bad and for evil. So let's fire the second barrel of our shotgun at him. And you have heard it maybe a hundred times, I've heard it a thousand times in over 40 years of pastoral experience. Somebody saying to me with a little paternalistic pat on the shoulder, or you see them doing it, never mind, all things work together for good. Well, you try saying that to a father in Nigeria who had Boko Haram kidnap his daughter. You try saying that to someone who's just had a paralyzing stroke and has got the prospect of a slow and probably not complete recovery. So it sort of seems a bit inane, doesn't it? All things work together for good. So our first lesson this morning is that you never rip a scripture out of context because you have to continue to build a foundation for the statement. And that's what we are going to do in a brief way this morning. So others add for the good of those who love God. Now that adds another wonderful dimension to it, but it still presents enormous difficulties uh, because... What does it mean to love God? We've got like a sentimental, emotional idea. Loving God is feeling God very present. So 
that's not true. We know that. So now where do I go? And I know that the hard truth is that I love God by obeying God. So now I'm going to ask, so is the goodness of God in my circumstances contingent on my loving God? In which case, I'm in deep trouble. How does your report card read? You can compile your own. Well, uh, this congregation, I don't know how you would rate me, but foolishly some of you would put me at about the 90th percentile. I'm guessing. I'm aware that I'm a bit of a narcissist at times. (laughs) My wife, who's lived with me now coming up on 48 years, we've been uh, known each other for 54 years, Uh, She knows me at close quarters. She would scarce score me, what, 60%? No, I'm a narcissist, probably about 20%. (laughs) But when I listen to the conversation in my head and examine my heart, I know I am the wretched man of Romans 7. I have to lament that I think and do things that I know I should not think and do. And I do things and think things that I know do not do things and think things that I know I ought to do and think. So I'm floundering. My love is poor and weak. And to make my love for God the dynamic of the verse, to make it hopelessly sentimental, sort of like one of those fake Hallmark cards. So we've got to put it into its context and add these words, all things work together for them who are called according to his purpose. They don't work together good outside of his purpose. And his purpose is that we should be conformed to the image of his Son and become like Jesus in order that Jesus may be the firstborn among many. So there's the dynamic there that Jesus draws us into this family and we ourselves are now among the many who are sharing the purpose which Jesus brought about by his suffering. Now we're beginning to understand it. And this is emphasized very strongly in the original language. The Greek language does not follow word order as in English. You can say your words in any order you like and they follow it because all the words are specific and relate to each other specifically with prefixes and suffixes. And so the way they speak and the way Paul wrote is to emphasize what he wants in the beginning and at the end, and all the rest is sort of like the filling in a wonderful sandwich. And here's how the original Greek reads, We know, moreover for those who love God, all things work, and the verb is the word, verb from which we get our English word synergize, Uh, that all things are synergized and gaining momentum for good to them who according to purpose are called. So the last thing in your mind is according to purpose you are called. And that's what should be 
prominent in your thinking, and then you go to, we know it, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes, and then, moreover, those who love God, for them all things work for good, who according to purpose are called. Now, how do we know that? You know, I've, I've had many purposes in my life, and none of them worked out. So is this another sort of feeble hope that is contingent upon all sorts of things that are out of control and it flies out without any hope, without any way that it could possibly happen? So the apostle says, wait a minute, I'm going to show you how specific and definite this is. And so he continues, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. How do you understand all this stuff about predestination and foreknowledge and calling and justification and glorification. Well, here's a simple way to think about it. When we were exploring the building of our new campus, sorry, of your new campus, uh, an architect was hired. And so he began to design with foreknowledge. He had he looked at the site, he began conferencing with individuals, with groups, I don't know how many conferences he had. He began to understand our purpose and our mission. He began to marry that to the site. He began with foreknowledge. Uh, he, he ran soil compacting experiments and they dug deep and he built into the plan, I assume, that he knows this is tornado territory. And I assume he knows the fact and took it into account that the biggest earthquake in the USA happened down on the New Madrigal Fault just south of here. So one assumes he's built all this in and brought in the engineers and designed the structure with foreknowledge so that it can take the impact of whatever is thrown at it. And that it will serve our purposes. And if you've been through, you know how well, how well they've accomplished that. And so we, he tries to be omniscient. And then he predestined the building with blueprints. And he sat, and you've seen people working through big, thick folios of blueprints. Every detail, where every outlet should go, where everything should be. And it's all predestined in the blueprint. And then the contractors came on site and called the building into existence according to the predestined blueprint which were designed with foreknowledge. That's what it means. God is omniscient. He knows what's going to come your way. God is omnipresent. He's present to oversee that the blueprint is right and that the blueprint, when it 
is called into existence is done with his omnipotence and with him present at all times. And so the purpose is described as conformity. And what does conformity require? Well, Michelangelo found a block of damaged marble. Uh, nobody else wanted it. 17 feet high, a previous sculptor boarded and messed it up completely, chipped away and actually chipped a hole right through the thing. And everybody else said, it's written off, it's rubbish, nobody can use that. And Michelangelo studied it for a day and walked around it and pondered it and made a little wax model. And then he bought it much to the astonishment and derision of his fellow sculptors and fellow artists. And he said, I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. And the image of the David emerged, blow by blow. And we are like blocks of damaged marble, are we not? And as we... As God sets about making the angel emerge, as it were, there are all sorts of things that can go wrong. Uh, I've often disobeyed his voice and not done his will and wandered off into a wilderness. Circumstances have run right in my life, sort of like emotional earthquakes and tornadoes. And then the literal tornadoes, some here were, had loved ones in the Twin Towers on 9-11. The circumstances of health and relationships that go sour. And then, of course, the devil is seeking to disrupt everything. Suggesting things to you, bringing things into your life. And through all of that and anything else you can add about this chip, cracked, messed up piece of marble, God's plan to conform me will never it will never, it will never be thwarted. But it's brutal. So our first conclusion this morning is that you should think theologically, not psychologically. Psychological thinking is psyche-based thinking. I put myself at the center and I think about everything from this perspective of my psyche. Theologically centered thinking centers everything in God. And so it's like a delivery that takes place, a deliverance that takes place. I'm taken out of this small confined sphere of myself and I'm released into the purpose of God which cannot be thwarted. So I must bring every thought into captivity to this immense truth. And more than that, I must bring every emotion into captivity to this most wonderful reality. Now you live from one of these two places at any given moment in your, in your life. You are either thinking theologically or psychologically. 
you approach your life from the psychological point of view, you will live with constant anxiety and dread. You will constantly be frustrated and you will be putting yourself in a straitjacket. But if you will begin to make a practice of thinking theologically and seeing your life in the perspective of God's foreknowledge and predestining and calling, you will be liberated. Now, this isn't easy to do. I'm not suggesting that it's just a simple thing. And so it takes practice. But as you do it, you will come into this marvelous reality that God is in control. And therefore, I can be more relaxed. And um, if not entirely all the time, there will be moments of peace that will be delicious. And then secondly, what if Joplin came to Kirkwood? Just imagine our city lying shredded in ruins like that. And still standing in the center of all was our Green Tree Church campus battered, maybe some of the roof ripped off, some of the glass shattered, but sheltered in the basement under that huge foundation wall of some hundred or two hundred people who have survived because of who? The architect. Everybody will say, who is the architect? His insight will get written into the building code. And you'll be made to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> and every other architect in, in the continent will come to study. What did he do to make that building survive this devastation? And guess what? God will get the glory. Ah, but you say, how? How do we do this? How exactly? That's not the easiest thing in the world. Well, here's how you do it. You build the theological base. And I'm going to um, castigate you maybe a little bit this morning. You have a lot of psychologically based devotional reading. And that's good. I'm not saying don't do it. But if all you ever read is Jesus Calling... And you never get to any place where you are actually building your theological base. You are, in a sense, taking the steel out of the foundation of your life. And therefore, I am going to earnestly urge you to start getting a strong doctrinal base to your life and to your faith. And for a change, take a book that's hard to read and say, even if I read just one sentence a day, I'm going to try and understand it, talk to it about it with people, build my knowledge of God's character and my knowledge of how He interacts with me and the world in order that I've got somewhere to go when I want to think theologically. I'm not saying that's easy. Those who did the uh, disciple-making class with me. I had them read J.I. Packer's little book, Concise Theology. And it's a hard read, but there's a place to start. And then what the Apostle Paul did here in this 
verses, he built the theological base and then he affirmed it in worship and in praise. And we're going to do that. I'm going to read his hymn of worship as we praise God together. And then the worship team is going to filter in behind me. And we're going to go straight from this reading of Romans 8 into songs of praise and do exactly what is done here in Romans chapter 8. So I'm going to just paraphrase. I'm going to put in a few words there and a few words here. But other than that, it is the word of God to your heart. Yet in all these things, fear, weakness, prayerlessness, and slaughtering, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded by my calling according to foreknowledge and predestination that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us stand and sing God's praises. Amen. 